Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the globe-trotting weekly news show where we go as far as we can to find you all of the truthful information that the mainstream isn't telling you. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones of CultureWars.com. Welcome, Mike. Good to have you back. Thank you, Kevin. I love your wallpaper. Yeah, it's great wallpaper. It's uh, Moroccan painted tile wallpaper, except it's not wallpaper. If you want Moroccan painted tiles in the U.S., you're probably better off getting the wallpaper. But here they have the tiles. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, broadcasting from beautiful Saidia, Morocco, which is right on the Mediterranean, close to the Algerian border with one of the best beaches on the entire Mediterranean Sea. It's known as the Blue Pearl or uh, La Perle Bleu, as they put it. And uh, there's a lot more to say about that, but this is False Flag Weekly News, so I guess we better <laughs> jump into that and, and go through all of the many disclaimers and so on. Okay, wait a second. First, first I have to uh, play play around with my settings here. It's all a little bit different from what I remember back before I was jet lagged. So we're going to share the screen. We're going to show you our first slide. And what is our first slide? Well, our first, this is our last. We're going to show you the whole thing backwards just to give you a sort of a psychedelic flashback effect. And uh, these are all the preview of coming attractions. Here's our slide for the show, the flattening the curve of truth slide. I thought this was a good theme for our show where people like Cass Sunstein have been flattening the truth curve for quite a while. And uh, these are our PSAs. Please help us continue to do this show by going to truthjihad.com and then clicking on the False Flag Weekly News link that will take you to this, uh, or there's the link you click on the fundraiser link and you get there and that takes you to our fundraiser page. There's a little contribute button and people have been really good about this lately. So thank you so much. I don't have to beg for very long and I'll stop begging now and move on to cover the stories of the week. So first COVID origin stories. The <laughs> big story this week is that when the media drumbeat, you know, just wouldn't let up about how COVID was natural and jumped from bats into pangolins and who knows what else into humans, all totally random, totally natural. Nothing to worry, folks. It's not a bioweapon, yada, yada, yada. That's all we heard for a couple of years. And now suddenly that's all changed. And the energy department says that it is a lab origin item. They hesitate to say bioweapon, but I don't. <laughs> so the lay, and of course, the elephant in the living room here is that this is probably a deliberate U.S. bioattack on China and Iran, and they're moving to the limited hangout to blame China. What do you think, Mike? Well, they're getting closer uh, to the reality of the situation. Uh, but the, the problem here is that so many powerful people are implicated in this thing that if you, uh, in order to tell the full story, you'd have to bring about the fall of the regime. Uh, and that's, sounds, that's, sounds a, good to that's a big story. <laughs> That's a big story. We'll cover that when it happens, but uh, that's a big story. Yeah, when the regime falls, you'll hear about it first, right here on False Flag Weekly News. That's right. You won't hear about it on the mainstream media. You probably won't. The revolution will not be televised, but it will be False Flag Weekly News eyes for sure. Uh, and of course, I'm not the only one pointing out that the media has totally changed its tune and admitted that the theor conspiracy theorists were right, or at least some of the conspiracy theorists were half right or whatever, that they were basically giving us a line of BS back in 2020. Here's a, you know, CNBC, CNN, the Business Insider. They're, they're all just really putting the kibosh in any theory that this could be anything other than a natural virus. And now suddenly, whoop, yeah, they were actually kind of shutting down people's accounts on Facebook and social media. I got my YouTube channel nuked in part because of this, I believe. And now it turns out I was right. So is YouTube going to give me back my channel and nuke everybody that was wrong about this? I'm not holding my breath. What do you think? No, that's, it's a serious threat to the regime. And now it's it's spread down to the local level in, in Indiana. The big battle in the Indiana State House is funding from the CDC. Uh, they're offering the state of Indiana millions of dollars if they all they have to do is set up a little registry. That's all of people who have gotten vaccinated and hire an, a couple hundred more people. And basically, you will have a whole new layer of government in Indiana uh, based on the CDC, based on this uh, big farmers takeover uh, of the of the world uh, during this global pandemic. Well, I don't know who would be worse running my town, uh, the CDC or Pete Buttigieg. Uh, but uh, frankly, I, I'm not, I wouldn't really see the CDC as a huge improvement on much of anybody and letting them just move in and take over uh, thanks to this, you know, who treaty and such. And by the way, as we talked about last week, they're uh, promoting 
the lead uh, dissimulator about these matters to be head of the WHO. <laughs> so there's some kind of global coup d'etat going on here, as well as the apparent bio attack on China and Iran. Uh, and some folks are getting closer. Jeremy Kuzmarov at Covert Action Quarterly, who's been, you know, these folks have been truth tellers for decades about the intelligence matters. Uh, he basically goes, tiptoes right up to the red line about this U.S.-Israeli bio-attack on China and Iran hypothesis that, of course, Uns and others have talked about. But he won't cross, doesn't really cross the red line in this article. Uh, so if, if Jeremy isn't quite ready to cross that red line yet, I mean, you know, when will he? Well, we're going to have to have Seymour Hirsch write an article about <laughs> There you go, Seymour <laughs> Hirsch. Well, yeah, we're going to get to some Seymour Hirsch stuff a little later in the show. Uh, Seymour definitely is in, you know, adding to his list of credentials and bona fides. Oh, he too, just like Jeremy Kuzmaroff. Well, Jeremy's actually better than Seymour on most things, including 9-11 truth and such. Uh, but the Republicans are, of course, now all up in action against China. Now, my interpretation of this, Mike, is that this has been the intention all along. That is, there was a plan on the shelf, you know, hey, what if we really need to slow China's economic growth? Uh, how are we going to do it? Well, here are all the possibilities, and none of them are very good. But here's one that might work. We're going to release a bioweapon that you know kills 1% of the people that catch it, which will force China to lock down and it'll wreck their economy. And we all know we're going to have to wreck the global economy to some extent to slow China's economic growth. So they put this on the shelf probably 10, 20 years ago and worked it all out. And part, so as this plan, you know, this plan that's on the shelf, you know, it's not a sure thing they're ever going to do it. It's just one of the many contingency plans they have kind of comes closer to fruition as China keeps growing fast. Then, of course, they have to come up with a, uh, a, a way to justify this release of a bioweapon in China. So they pick Wuhan, the transit hub of the entire country, the good way to shut down China. And then the same people put that lab there. I mean, that lab was put there, in my view, probably to provide a pretext for the blame China aspect of this false flag bio attack. Just as the Muslims were blamed for 9-11, the Chinese are being blamed for the Wuhan flu. And uh, the Republicans here are actually just, you know, playing sort of the other side of the, the, the two-party duopoly thing, which is all just part of the game, right? Yeah, well, the, uh, your, the other story that disappeared, which was significant, was the uh, chairman of the chemistry department at Harvard, Mr. Lieber, uh, was arrested right around the, the same time that the COVID broke out uh, because he had Chinese had Chinese students uh, at Harvard who were really members of the Chinese army, uh, basically smuggling out. Uh, some of them were smuggling out weapons and vials in their socks. They got arrested at Logan Airport with that. Uh, but, Lieber was the guy who uh, created the the knife that uh, you used to splice genes. Uh, and he was getting $50,000 a month under the table from the Chinese government to do this, to do this type of stuff. Now, suddenly he goes on trial and uh, or he's arrested. And then suddenly the whole story disappears. So wait, wait, wait why, why, did, why wasn't something more in depth done here about this guy? Because you might be able to unravel the whole government's uh, involvement in, in what happened at Wuhan. Yeah, that, that whole thing got swept under the rug really fast, didn't it? Obviously, there's a spy versus spy game happening here. And we're not supposed to know about it. They're, no, you know, keeping no. Us in and the dark. that. Yeah. And then right after that was when it, we, they were talking about bats from the uh, wet market in Wuhan as the cause of this whole thing. So that was uh, deliberately covered up uh, with this crazy bat story. It was batshit crazy, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it certainly was. But, um, it, but the, the anti-bat defamation league is happy that they're no longer blaming the bats. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So there can only so much you can uh, uh, hold uh, hold the truth down for, for so long. But once you get to this point, as I said, the regime is threatened. The entire regime, the entire world regime. So are they going to go along with that? No, I don't think so. That's true. Yeah. E even, you know, the Republican uh, loose cannons, uh, you know, once people are elected to Congress and stuff, very few of them actually have the guts to do anything that could bring down the regime. And when they do, bad stuff sometimes happens to them, like Paul Wellstone with 9-11, right? He and yeah. his wife and his daughter and his whole campaign staff murdered in a rigged plane crash by Dick Cheney and his friends. 
Right. Uh, there are other examples too. Dennis Kucinich lost some family a, members uh, right after he was going to investigate the 9-11 put, right. put options. So, something else happened uh, just uh, this past week uh, when uh, Josh Hawley uh, and Ted Cruz went after Merrick Garland. This was uh, a Republican uprising against the uh, Biden administration, but it had uh, bigger implications because it uh, uh, Hawley brought in the Catholic angle. You know, the FBI is going after Catholics. What he didn't bring in was the Jewish angle, because that would have created a Catholic Jewish conflict, which would have been really uh, explosive politically. Uh, well, but he came close. The yeah. In other words, the Republicans are there was a kind of Republican uprising uh, to show that they weren't just the party of less of the same. Uh, uh, and uh, it went as far as it went, uh, could have gone farther. But I thought it was a hopeful sign. Yeah, maybe the things are starting to spin a little out of control. And as you say, the regime really is threatened by this issue. And uh, whether they can continue to keep a lid on it or play the blame China card. And I think, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the story about uh, China, you know, weaponizing its currency, uh, upping its trade with Russia, looking like it's poised to start arming Russia. I don't think it's a coincidence that this move to the blame China lim limited hangout uh, is happening right now as that stuff's happening too. We'll get to that story in a moment though. Uh, here's a piece by Sam Husseini. Now, Sam Husseini, of all the people who are sort of quasi mainstream, you know, alternative left type people is I think one of the very best. He's actually appears to be totally honest as far as I can tell. And, uh, here's a, a very good, uh, piece about the, uh, us, you know, all of this, this whole story has been around. I mean, we've been talking about this stuff for three years here on this show and, and other truly alternative shows. Um, so whether this actually breaks through thanks to the uh, maverick Republican congressman remains to be seen. Yeah, that's that that's the it's there waiting for a Republican to pick it up and run with it. So that Ron the, Johnson, the, the, <laughs> we Ron, I campaigned for you. Where are you when I need I think Ron, you know, unfortunately, I, I hate to say this, Mike, but I, I think you know, Ron Johnson may not be. You know, quite the guy I really hoped he was when I knocked on doors, you know, for one day in spring green for him and went to a couple of his events and talked him up because he was doing some good stuff on some of the COVID issues. And I tried to red pill him. I think I, I think he's pretty red pilled actually on this, but maybe he just doesn't want to get well stoked. But how are you how would you take this forward? I mean, Hawley could have taken it forward by saying, okay, the the FBI is going against Catholics. Uh they're under your direction. Yeah. Is the fact that is the fact that you're Jewish? Does that play a role? The fact that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, which 400 Jewish organizations have now said, does that influence your decision in enforcing the law? Now, if he had said that, that would have been really and there would have been an explosion at that point because he would have established the real dynamic of the culture wars in America, which is basically certainly with abortion, it's a Catholic Jewish battle. Once well, you, you know, establish, <laughs> if, if they ever expose that, they're going to have to point you as commissar of culture. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but it, it's look. It, it, that's that's the whole point. I think everyone sees where it's going, and then they get scared and they back off. But it's not going to unless we start identifying the people responsible. Uh, it's not going to happen. It won't happen. Okay, well, we may uh, have to wait a little bit, not hold our breath anytime too soon. Here's another Sam Husseini piece on the pandemic origins debate. And uh, once again, he is pointing out the places where this limited hangout is going into effect. So shout out to Sam. Uh, but moving on to the disinformation chronicle story uh, about the history of bioweapons research. This story by Paul uh, Thacker in the Disinformation Chronicle gets into the history of Lyme disease. Now, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, as it were, to have gotten a pretty nasty case of Lyme, as well as two cases of you know, COVID. One was worse than the other. And so thank you, U.S. bioweapons community. Uh, in this article, Thacker points out that the book by Kim Newby called Bitten uh, established several years ago, uh, and actually this was established longer ago than that, if you believe people who come on my show who talked about this, uh, that Lyme was a U.S. bioweapon. And indeed, the guy who created it, a certain Willy Bergdorfer, uh, can tearfully confessed on video to having created it as part of his U.S. bioweapons research. So there's a whole backstory to this bioweapon angle that if that comes out again, as you say, uh, it could bring down the regime. It's going to. 
You could also bring up the other story. Fortunately, they identified it with the city where it was created. So they did us all a favor by doing that. But uh, you could also talk about the Spanish flu uh, during uh, war, uh, after World War One. Uh, I think there's good reason to believe that that was a bioweapon that got out of control. Uh, they they tend to do this. They tend to get out of control. It's like poison gas. If the wind turns around, you kill your own people. And that's why they banned it. Uh, this may be the part, at least part of the hidden story of the Ukraine, that we outsourced a lot of these bioweapons labs to the Ukraine uh, because, hey, that's probably a good place to use them in addition to being completely opaque and uh, beyond any type of official scrutiny. So once you, I think it was Ron, did Ron Un say this? I think he said something like when he, when suddenly the scales fell from his eyes about the Kennedy assassination, I think it was the Kennedy assassination, everything else fell apart. The entire narrative collapsed. And I think that's, that's the situation that we're nearing right now. One of these incidents collapses and then suddenly the whole thing collapses and nobody believes anything. You know, people even, they even stop believing in the tooth fairy. <laughs> no, not happened. the tooth theory, please, not the tooth theory and Santa Claus. <laughs> I know it's hard to I know it's hard to face, but I mean, uh, I got a quarter every time my tooth came out. Uh, my my grandchildren get five dollar bills, so it shows you the tooth fairy is keeping up with inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can kind of relate to you know Ron Unz having gone through this way because I, I went through the same awakening when I looked into the JFK assassination but I was in high school this was like in in the 1970s early 1970s that it happened for me and yeah once you look at the JFK thing it's uh it's never going to be quite the same again because it's just it's just so crazy you know that the whole country sat still for that and what kind of uh you know democracy the whole the whole myth of of how things work in the u.s just uh, doesn't survive any close scrutiny of jfk and then 9 11 same thing of course well let's look at some factual COVID data uh about the COVID itself not just the origins issue um and coulter actually wrote a pretty decent article and once again pointing out that three years ago we were all saying these things and getting called conspiracy theorists and getting deplatformed and getting our channels nuked uh hear that youtube all this stuff and now they're admitting that we were right on so many of these issues, including, for example, natural immunity. Now, it was obvious studies were clear early on that natural immunity is a thing and it's better than you're going to get from the vax. But they couldn't admit that because then people wouldn't rush out and buy the new gene therapy. So they had to lie, just like Fauci admitted that he lied about masks. You know, he first said, oh, the masks don't work, which was true. And then he changed his mind. Oh, the masks do work. Go out and buy some. Uh, I was lying to you because I wanted to save the masks for the first responders. Okay, well, if you're going to just lie to us about that, what else are you lying about? Well, we're learning now that they were lying about pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, I think one of the angles that is worth uh, thinking about is the effect that Borla and Pfizer had on Israel. Because there's a big, I think, a big movement there that of the the little Jews, the the uh, the Jews with the Israelis with no power, now they're claiming that they were turned into lab rats by Pfizer, and a, a bit a Netanyahu's collaboration with Pfizer, and it's causing uh, dissension in Israel, which is I think I think they're safe from the accusation of anti-Semitism. You never know, but I think they could make I don't that think anybody's safe. Nobody is ever safe from that. No, you're right. I mean, there are people like. Uh, uh, Israel Shamir and so on and so forth. Uh, but there are a lot of them. And there are a lot of people who are upset about what Pfizer did to Israel. And uh, maybe there will be an uprising over that. Who knows? There should be. Yeah. Well, you know, Israeli Jews being lab rats that, you know, that conjures up those radiation experiments where the Israelis killed a large number of Jewish kids. They were Sephardic Jews. So they were Untermenschen. They were the lower race of Jews who were still ab above all the Goyim. But anyway, yeah, these these uh, mostly Yemeni Jews, I understand, maybe some Moroccans were subjected to horrific radiation experiments, including kids, uh, as they tried to immigrate to Israel back in the day. And, they, and indeed, the Israelis were sharing this data with the U.S. They, they made a deal with the U.S. It's part of the reason, probably, that the Americans looked the other way. Well, the Israelis stole all of America's nuclear secrets because they yeah. collaborated on these horrific human radiation experiments. And the guinea pigs were Jews. You know, so this whole notion that the Jews think that Jewish life is so superior to everything and they, you know, they, the drop of Jewish blood is the end of the world. Not hardly. That's that's the public line. But in reality, the way the Zionist entity works, they'll spill anybody's blood. 
Yeah, they've they've always been willing to kill little Jews for the greater cause. The Levon affair is a good example of this. No one talks about it, but they were, you know, the Jews, uh, the Mossad blew up a synagogue in Egypt, killing a lot of Jews to create panic among the Jews so that they would uh, emigrate to, to Israel. So they're capable of doing this. So why not with the vaccine? Why not? Yeah, well, they, they very, very likely did. So let's see. Are we sharing our screen now or not? I don't know. Anyway, we will. Uh, here we are back to the flatten the truth slide. We'll talk more about the Zionist entity later in the show. How about Woody Harrelson sharing a COVID conspiracy theory on Saturday Night Live? He goes on this this uh, routine that ends. Well, the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And the people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. Wow, what a science fiction scenario that is, huh? Yeah, so the secret is don't tell the producer what you're going to say for your monologue. <laughs> that's, that's the secret uh you we learned that from dave Chappelle, who uh, put one over on the producers of course they got great ratings and of course these are the people like uh dave Chappelle is saving saturday night live from itself because it, the imposition of this political correctness is absolutely wrecking comedy and wrecking the entire point of this uh, uh, uh this uh, this tv show so yeah don't tell them what you're going to say so he got a lot of pushback by well, the, studio, uh, the studio audience. Like was was totally dead. No laughter. You could hear a pin drop. They were all shocked. They all had heart attacks. So what's the deal here? Are they making people show their vax cards to get in to watch the live show or what? But because <laughs> actually, this is a pretty pretty good joke. Yes, you know, it's the it's kind of my kind of humor. You know, you uh, you tell the truth, but you better make it funny or they'll kill you. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We've been we've been down this road before. Oh, with yeah. uh, with uh, the difference between Lenny Bruce and Sarah Silverman, absolutely, and the, yeah. and the decline of Jewish humor, and uh, uh, Saturday Night Live is a classic example of this. You know, where you, you become such a part of the establishment that uh, why would anyone watch it? You're not funny anymore. You're not relevant. They were funny back in the day when I first watched Saturday Night Live. When they began, I was in high school, I think, maybe junior. I don't know. It was back in the day for sure. And they were pretty funny. They were different. They were sort of like National Lampoon, except on network TV. And it was great. That was, you know, I mean, some of it was tasteless, and some of it maybe was a little bit stupid here and there. But it was, it was basically funny and fresh. Now, yeah, like, like what, what was, like was funny. Uh, uh, something comes to my mind, like. Uh, 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 who's who's the black guy that did? I uh, did a uh, satire. There's lots of lots of fun. Black I know guys out there. the famous one. The famous, yeah, the famous one. Oh, uh, Richard. Uh, what's his name? No, 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 no. no, no, uh, no. We, Why am I not uh, coming up with this guy? You know, Kanye West. No, no, he, no, he's no, 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 his, no, uh, no. Um, uh, Eddie Eddie Murphy. Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy does, okay. Eddie, Eddie Murphy does a thing, a satire on uh, Mister. I'm, I'm coming up. I'm drawing blanks here. The guy who did the children's show. Uh, oh, Lauren Michaels? No, 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 he was, he was no. no. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Rogers. Uh, okay, so it's a satire about blacks uh, playing Mr. Rogers. Well, it was really funny because it was able to uh, talk about one of the sacred cows of our society, which was namely the whole race issue. So it was funny. But it's only funny if you can go after these sacred cows. If, you, if you're in the business of defending them, you're not funny anymore, and no one's going to watch you. Yeah, D Dave Chappelle is another funny black guy who was not afraid to take on sacred cows and who did the same thing that Woody Harrelson did uh, when he you know, got on national TV and then went off the script and told some truth about Kanye West. So, yeah, you're right, Mike. If you're ever invited to go on national TV on one of these comedy shows and be funny, just make sure that you have sort of, you know, it's, it's like the Italians with their two sets of books. Italian That's right. Yeah. Always give two sets of books, you know, one for yeah. the public and, you know, one the real books. And here you, you have a, two scripts, right? One, you could show the producers and the other one, that's what you're really going to say. So yeah. shout, shout out to Woody. <laughs> All right. uh, how, how about the COVID mRNA shots affecting birth rates? This is more, uh, you know, truthful COVID data. Uh, Josh Middledorf, who's my favorite scientific regular guest on Truth Jihad Radio, just came up with this really good overview of the birth data. It looks like there has been some effect. And Josh says, fortunately, uh, you know, our worst fears were that this was going to get worse over time. But it turns out that it looks like it's temporary. So there, if it's a depopulation plot, 
they screwed up. <laughs> we hope. We don't, we don't need a depopulation plot. This is a serious problem throughout the world. And the, the most recent uh, story was Japan. Japan is facing doom. Uh, what are they going to do? Doom. Yeah. Demographic doom. Iran's in the same situation. They are not reproducing. They have they are below replacement rate. Italy is in the same uh, same uh, predicament. So you've got uh, Asia, West Asia, East Asia, uh, Europe, all facing this this problem of uh, we're going out of business. No more people. Where are we going to get people? Africa. The, Africa. Well, that's the the other side of the coin is that the 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 uh, our the Jews know this and they are orchestrating a mass migration into uh, Europe, uh, specifically countries like Ireland, uh, to replace the population. Barbara Lerner Specter, Google her; she'll tell you what they're doing. Okay, I'm not making this up. Wait a minute, uh, this, this, this sounds like Charlottesville. Jews will not replace us. You're not allowed to say that. They are. No, they are. That's exactly what's going on. And uh, okay. so uh, the same thing, uh, What the this is also a story about the war in the Ukraine. Because basically, uh, Zelensky, uh, a Jew, is engaging in the ethnic cleansing of his own country. Uh, the Ukrainians are being told to leave. And they go to Poland. They start heading west. They end up in Ireland. And then they they are the unwitting ethnic cleansers of the native population of Ireland. So this is uh, this is serious business, and someone's going to have to address it one way or the other. The heads of these countries, for example, Hungary has has addressed it. Okay, they are paying people to have children. They are a small country. Nobody speaks Hungarian. Nobody can learn. It's an impossible language to learn. They have to have this birth uh, birth re rebound they have to have a rebirth of birth uh and if they don't, they're going to go a birth rebirth that's what's going to happen and that's going to be a repudiation of one of the fundamental pillars of western society which is basically that the world is overpopulated it's underpopulated it's underpopulated and that's going to have to be thrown overboard and people are going to have to start taking measures to replenish the birth rate well, if the po point is to get rid of humans and replace them with machines, probably this uh, depopulation thing is quite useful. Sometimes I wonder about that being perhaps the end game. In any case, uh, the COVID vaccine, this is more uh, truthful COVID data for you. The Medicare data, according to Steve Kirsch, shows that the overall death rates are higher for the vaxxed people. That is, it appears that taking the vaccines increases your overall chance of death. It's interesting, Mike, that up in all the vaccine research, they never, ever want to look at this kind of issue of whether you're really better off actually getting the vaccine in terms of overall mortality rates and, and other health rates as well. There's never been a vaxxed versus unvaxxed study that addressed these issues for any of the vaccines. Uh, and, and there's that uh, excellent book, Turtles All the Way Down, that goes into the details. So it doesn't surprise me that the authorities are hiding any data they have that compares the overall death rates among the vaxxed and the unvaxxed people. Now, whistleblowers supposedly provided at least some of this, maybe not the entire set of Medicare data, but a subset of it to Steve Kirsch. He, he ran his analysis and he says, hey, this is probably why they don't want to release this data because look what it shows. It looks like it, the vaccines actually in, increase the chances that you're going to die prematurely rather than decreasing the chances that you're going to die prematurely, which is not what vaccines are supposed to do. Which brings up the question of intentionality. If you talk to people like uh, Bill Gates uh, over a few beers, uh, he will tell you that there were too many people out there. Uh, so uh, maybe the, this was the intention of the vaccine. Maybe the intention was to kill people, uh, sterilize people, so that we could get the world population down to a manageable figure like 500 million people, uh, uh, as opposed to the 8 billion, which it is now, which involves the, the greatest uh, crime of mass murder in human history. Uh, but who's who, who's going to put the bell on the cat here? Well, Bill who's, Gates who, feels that way. I, I, he could easily lower the population by one. It'd be pretty easy. Right. Uh, that's, that's the simplest solution, okay? But Bill Gates is not going to do that. Bill Gates comes from that whole eugenic tradition. He came for it from it through his father, ironically, uh, which was basically- He inherited uh, it. He inherited it, right. 
it's a genetic disease in that family. Uh, but basically, we're going back to, to Malthus. That has been the de default setting for the Anglo-American empire ever since the, the, the 19th century, the beginning of the 19th century, when you had the big battle between Malthus on the one hand and Godwin on the other. Godwin being the lefty who's saying that uh, labor is the source of value, so it's bad production. Malthus saying, no, it's scientifically provable that uh, uh, reproduction is geometric and the food supply is arithmetic. So there's nothing you can do except decrease the surplus population, which is what Scrooge said in uh, Christmas Carol. That's right. Well, uh, the um, congenital Malthusianism of people like Bill Gates really you know, needs some kind of a, maybe a, I don't know, a surgical solution. I'm sure that the uh, scientists will come up with something. Let's move on to the war on Russia news. The war on Russia continues, of course, uh, Ron Unz put out a real good piece about Sir Moore, Seymour Hirsch, uh, pointing out that Hirsch has a very good record as an investigative journalist, and he's probably not red-pilled on issues like 9-11 and JFK, just because he knows that to do his job, which is to break specific stories that nobody else has broken, he's better off looking like a mainstream liberal than like a red-pilled conspiracy theorist like you and I. So, you know, he's, he's just doing what it takes to do his job. He's doing a good job. That's Ron's interpretation. What's yours? Yeah, Ron said that uh, he's, it's good that he has these sources uh, in the government, but he's a prisoner of those sources, too. So yeah. he can't he, he can't really get beyond uh, the conventional narrative, because if he did, his sources would dry up because they think he was a conspiracy nut. Right. So in, in a sense, he's got to go along. But then the other thing is consoling, I suppose, is that the the deep state uh, is ready to spill the beans on the pipeline, which means that they, they're probably uh, ha hesitant about the suicide mission that is now the war in the Ukraine. There, there's got to be some adults in the room left. I, I can't well, there imagine. There, yeah, his, his sources obviously represent a lot of people in the you know high-level national security community, including apparently some of the people actually who were involved in blowing up this pipeline who felt terrible about it, thought this was a really stupid mission. It was it was the most reckless act uh, uh, that I have experienced in my lifetime. And never have I seen an act this reckless. Wait a minute, how, how about uh, the demolition of the Twin Towers? I think this is more reckless. It's even worse. Than uh, that. In, in in the sense in the sense that it was so obvious who did it, it was so arrogant on the part of these people. There's no subterfuge here, you know. We did it. I'll, Biden's there saying, uh, "We'll take it out. We'll take it out." That was, shameless, never it was shameless. Yeah, chutzpah, that, right? Shameless that chutzpah. Was, Right. This is the arrogance that has grown. They, no one would ever say something like that about 9-11. Never. They would never say about any of the big issues before that It was, it was pretty obvious. I mean, it was 9-11, you know, they didn't hide their tracks very well. But this, yeah, you're right. In a sense, this is even more uh, shameless chutzpah. Uh, so then what about the question here raised? Oh, this is, I'm sorry, this slide attributes this to me, but it's actually Steve Brown who wrote this terrific article that I reposted to Veterans Today. Shout out to Steve Brown, who's been a Pacifica whistleblower. He's trying to keep the Pacifica network honest and very good guy. He's been on my radio show. And uh, he asked this elephant in the room question, why is Assange in jail and not Seymour Hirsch? They're both revealing classified information. Sources are giving them classified information and they're publishing it. But Hirsch is walking free, Assange isn't. And Steve Brown thinks it's because if they locked up Seymour Hirsch, it'd be a huge scandal. And it would just prove that he was right, that his sources were right. Well, I think he's got Jewish privilege. Ah, could be. If yeah, you, Assange, if you, I guess Assange if you, is a goy, huh? No, I mean, he's got Jewish privilege and he can he can say that. The fact that he's publishing it on Substack is a sign that he's been demoted to some extent. But that was that was part of their role. I, I like Substack. I'm on Substack. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's great. But it's not the New York Times because the New York Times uh, basically has lost all credibility as a journalistic outlet. So that's part of the scene. But I think it's let's face it. He's part, he's he's a Jew. So he's got Jewish privilege as a journalist. He's quoting establishment sources. Uh, he, uh, it's just that they are expanding the realm of what the establishment is now uh, willing to talk about. That's the only difference. Assange clearly violated all of those rules. I guess so. 
but yeah, as Steve Brown points out, Assange was pretty hard to get at. You know, they had to go to a lot of trouble to rig up a fake uh, case against him and try to extradite him from here and then to there and then you know, to the UK and out to the US, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Hirsch, they could pick up any time. They know where he lives. But hey, uh, it's, not, it's not the same rules for everybody for whatever reason. Maybe you're right. I don't know. How about the Wall Street Journal story telling us that Russia is turning to Chinese yuan and ditching the dollar? This is maybe part of the reason this plus China edging up to providing more weapons to Russia. That's probably the reason that we see this blame China for the Wuhan flu limited hangout about COVID being a lab creation. Because here's the Wall Street Journal story from this week about uh, Russia turning to you know, Russia and China are getting closer and closer and closer and the Americans who had hoped that, well, maybe Russia won't do that because they don't want to get too dependent on China and give them too much leverage. Sorry, Russia trusts China. China is agreement capable. Guess who's not agreement capable? I think Putin already told us. Yeah, he told that. And guess who's responsible for this? It's the sanctions office at the U.S. Treasury, which is a notorious Jewish enclave. OK, so we have so this is what Hegel would call the cunning of reason. You are bringing about the sanctions are bringing about the exact opposite of what they should be doing. The fundamental law of Anglo-American foreign policy is the McKinder thesis, which is you want to divide the Eurasian landmass so that the British Navy can 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 bombard their ports and blockade their ports if they get uppity and don't pay off their debts. They've done the exact opposite. They have brought the entire Eurasian landmass together in unifying it against the United States of America. This is what happens when you allow the Jews to run your foreign policy. Oh, wait a minute, Mike. I, I, thought the the Jews, I thought the Jews were supposed to be smart. You know, Bobby Fischer is part Jewish. And, you know, he was a really smart chess player. I mean, the, yeah, you know. he, he was he was also an anti-Semite, too, by the end <laughs> of his life. So it proves that he was smart because the Jews tried to destroy him. Look, let's let's deal with that. Deal with that right now. Uh, Heinrich Graetz, the father of Jewish historiography, said the only thing that Jews learned from reading the Talmud was how to cheat people. That was the head of, that's what they learned. They're good at cheating people. This myth of intelligence is disproven by what I just told you. If the Jews were smart, they wouldn't put 40%, what, then probably 50% of the world's population under sanctions and expect that there's no, going to be no pushback. That's crazy. That's not smart. That's stupid. Well, but, you know, the Israeli Jews must be kind of smart to get away with this crazy project that they're doing. They've gotten away with all sorts of things. Uh, either they're they're lucky or they're smart. Well, yeah. What do you mean? It's like the guy who jumped off the 100 story building and they ask him, how are things going as he goes past the 50th floor? And he says, so far, everything's OK. So far, so doesn't, good. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't mean so far, so good. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever, does it? Yeah. No, it doesn't. And same with these sanctions. You're right. They've uh, the sanctions are backfired. U.S. has shot itself in the foot. Uh, and meanwhile, the, the Economist, the Rothschild uh, publication, is now actually admitting something that those of us in the alternative media have been saying for ages which is that the Ukrainians are like drafting pretty much anything that moves and even some things that don't. Uh, and, and this article actually begins, you know, they didn't hide this at the end of the article. They began the article with this guy who has no hands. So they drafted him and he protested and, <laughs> and they still wanted him even after they found out he had no hands. So well, they, they maybe can handle the rifle the way Zelensky handles the piano. They, they're going to get yeah, a whole I... special forces squad, Mike, a special forces squad called the Zelensky Piano Player Squad. And these guys are going to be training. This is my rifle. It's the same as my gun. This is for fighting. The same one for gun. Just like the Marines. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, they are. This narrative is about uh, what is truth the opinion of the powerful? Can they say? Can they make the uh, the war uh, win Ukraine win the war by saying it so many times in the newspapers they control? Or is there a greater reality at work here? I think the greater reality is dawning on even uh, newspapers like the Economist. Bakhmut has been surrounded. That's that happened this week. They have. They are under siege. Whether they got people out, they got the elite uh, Ukrainian troops out. The Nazis got out. Probably the Poles got out. <clears throat> but Bakhmut is is gone. Well, that's the bulwark that prevents 
uh, 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 further advance westward. Now the Russians can move to the Dnieper and set up and declare victory. What What's the press going to say now? What's the yeah, Daily Bach, Mail going to say? Bakhmut looks like the next Mariupol. And uh, so meanwhile, the uh, another front here, uh, Germany, which is crucial. Of course, this is really about uh, what is it? Keeping the Germans down and the Russians out. It's about dividing Russia from Germany, not letting German industry use all that cheap Russian gas, because then they would actually compete with the U.S. and they would help make Europe its own power center. And we can't have that, can we? We need Europe to be essentially crippled and under the tutelage of the guys in the Pentagon who are under the tutelage of the guys in Tel Aviv or Wall Street or whatever, the city of London. So this uh, thing, it's really about Germany. The pipeline attack was a declaration of war on Germany, not just Russia. And now the Germans look like they might be starting to wake up. So 13,000 people gather at the Brandenburg Gate this week to demonstrate for peace, to stop NATO and uh, get back to some pro-German policies. Uh, 600,000 Germans signed a petition to end the weapons deliveries to Ukraine. Uh, this 10,000 demonstrate in Berlin for peace. Others say it's a lot more than that, tens of thousands, plural. So, Mike, are the Germans finally waking up? Yeah, I think the key here is, is to talk about the Morgenthau plan. Uh, this will resonate with Germans. They know what the Morgenthau plan was. It was the Secretary of Treasury under Roosevelt who had a plan to starve the Germans to death. Now, at that point, there were a number of adults in the room who woke up to the fact that this is a plan created by Harry Dexter White. He's a Soviet spy uh, working for uh, Morgenthau, two Jews working together to make life intolerable for the Germans so that they will welcome the Soviet army with open, open arms. Princess Gloria von Torn und Taxis is now saying that what the Germans are experiencing now is Morgenthau 2.0. This is the same plan to deindustrialize Germany. Now they're using the Greens uh, to do it. And the Germans are waking up to the fact that this is an existential question for Germany. This is what I mean by recklessness. In, in 1947, 46, 47, George Marshall showed up at Harvard and said, basically, uh, the Jewish plan is over. He didn't say that, but I mean, that's what everybody knew. Uh, we're, we can't afford to have these the long arm of Semitic vengeance destroying our foreign policy. That's exactly what the Germans are going to have to wake up to this point. They're going to have to wake up again. This is Morgenthau 2.0. It's an ex existential situation. And you're going to have to get rid of Schultz and Baerbock because they are enemies of the German people. They obviously are vassals of the United States of America who don't care anything about the German people. They care about their careers because that's the way you make a career in German politics, by, by doing the bidding of the Americans. But at some point, you have to give the impression that you're not just licking their boots, that you're actually doing something for the German people. So that's when the adults in the room stood up and said, no more Morgenthau. We're going to do a different plan, and that Germany flourished under it. It wasn't without problems. I've gone into all those problems and other things I've written, but it did uh, allow a backing away from the abyss. Well, where are the adults now? Where are they? Well, some of them are in Germany rising up. We'll see whether there are enough. Uh, so well, we've went through war on Russia, war on Germany, I guess war on China through the whole COVID of limited hangout thing blaming Wuhan. Now, how about the war on Syria? The Syrian oil theft resumed. I guess, you know, the good news here is that the Americans were humane enough to stop stealing oil for a couple of weeks uh, in the immediate aftermath of the earthquake that they actually may have, or they or their Israeli friends may have created. We don't know that part for sure. But anyway, yeah, they paused the oil thefts for a week or two, but now they resumed them. So that's the bad news. <laughs> I'm kind of ashamed to be a citizen of a country that does this. Uh, maybe I should stay here in Morocco. I, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, well, uh, as long as Morocco doesn't get uppity and attract the attention of the Americans. Actually, I think this is over. I think we're, we're, near, we're in an endgame scenario here. There's just too much negative evidence. All we need is someone to step forward and catalyze this. Uh, Robert Kennedy is apparently going to run for the Democratic nomination. This is a political really? opportunity. I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. I just wow, saw I, I voted for him last time around. I, I was a, I, I've always ahead of my time. I beat Ron Unz by like three or four decades to the JFK thing. And uh, and I voted for RFK before he ran for president. 
Yeah. So uh, uh, this would be a, a, a significant challenge to the Biden administration because first, because of his name, because of the pre- credibility that he gained by opposing the vaccine. Uh, and so but, but, but the point I'm trying to make here is there is, as Lenin said, that political opportunity is lying in the streets right now, waiting for someone to take pick it up. So is Josh, Hawley, so is Josh Hawley going to come out against the war? Well, that's it. There's an opportunity waiting for it. Opportunities never come without risk. Uh, is is this uh, Robert F. Kennedy's moment? Is he going to come back and come become president and figure out who shot his father and his uncle? That would that's be a heck a, of a long, development. Yeah, that would be that would be a significant development. That is a what's a regime changing moment if that pretty, were to happen. Pretty much, yeah. In that case, I might have to move back to America from Morocco if we got our country back. Uh, I'm going to keep praying for that, that's for sure. But as long as the Zionist entity is in business and their American fifth column is in business, it's going to be hard to take the country back. Let's look at the Zionist entity news for this week. Nablus uh, is mourning after 11 people got killed as the Israeli army went charging in there. Uh, ostensibly just going after a couple of resistance fighters. But meanwhile, they kind of take pot shots at anything that moves, as they always do, or in more polite language, their conduct uh, is violent and indiscriminate as they fire at bystanders and kill non-combatants. So, you know, more of the same in a sense, but things are really heating up. There's this ultra-extremist new government. Netanyahu's cabinet is is full of uh, crazies, and we're starting to see the results as the uh, violence increases and the possibility of a new intifada arises. Yeah, I think that the, this, as I said, motus in fine velocior, things speed up at the end. And I think the new government there is an admission that they have no legitimacy whatsoever. Uh, it's a war cabinet. And basically, uh, Netanyahu, who is getting ready to launch a war that will establish once and for all the boundaries uh, between the Nile and the Euphrates of Eretz Israel, and then they will rebuild the temple. That's the only thing that's going to save them. They are not going to, they can't continue under this under this form of behavior. It, it's too extreme. It's too uh, out of sync with reality. I think that they're haunted by the fact that no Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 80 years. I think they're haunted by this fact. Communism. So the expiration was, date is coming up. Right. Communism was a Jewish kingdom. It lasted exactly the length of one man's life, 70-some years. I think that this is the other Jewish kingdom. There were always two options in the Pale of Settlement. There was always Zionism and communism. Communism fell, and now it's time for Zionism to fall. Amen. (laughs) And the uh, human rights community won't mourn the loss of the Zionist entity too much, given the endless tidal waves of, of abuses coming out of there. Uh, and it's, you know, it's every level. I mean, you can't even have a nonprofit group that tries to help Palestinian prisoners who are regularly tortured and abused. Before 9-11, Israel was the only country that officially uh, bragged about practicing torture as a matter of national policy. Of course, now the United States has joined it, thanks to the neocon Zionists taking over the United States with their 9-11 coup d'etat. Uh, and here they're abusing Sami Dugan a totally you know, peaceful humanitarian NGO that tries to help the political prisoners. Apparently somebody from Saudi Duin may have had some kind of contact with somebody from a proscribed group or something like that. So it's, it's just uh, typical that these, you know, the Zionists with their extreme uh, arrogance, they go after everybody. They, go, they, you know, they bomb ambulances, they drop white phosphorus on hospitals, kids playing soccer on the beach, whatever, they don't care. Yeah, and they're losing the, the allegiance of their own people. And they're getting desperate. So even Steven Spielberg is probably the most, uh, one of the most powerful, wealthiest guys in the United States of America. And he's whining about anti-Semitism. This is a sign that they're at the end of their rope here. Uh, The ADL is getting hysterical. Uh, They're talking about, uh, uh, on local news here in South Bend, Indiana, the wave of anti-Semitism sweeping through South Bend, Indiana. Well, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? But, well, uh, maybe maybe that wave is just a, a euphemism for E. Michael Jones. I don't know. I might be. It might be, but I'm not a wave. I'm just a guy. This is You're just surfing the wave. This, this as the SPLC tried to say I was a hate group, but not only do I not hate these people, I'm not a group. I'm a, I'm a publisher. Every time I, I have you on the show, you look pretty much like the same guy. Yeah. So it, this is overplaying. It's called overplaying your hand, uh, and it's always a sign of the end game. It's an end game. 
Motus okay. Infine Volor Volosior. Yeah, there you go. It's all, it's speeding up. Well, let's admit that Mondo Weiss, uh, run by the Jewish uh, Philip Weiss, is putting out some good stuff, doing a good job. Hey, good job, uh, Philip, leaving the New York Times and doing this, just like other, you know, Seymour Hersh leaving the New York Times and going to Substack, where the real journalists and the fearless commentators like us uh, publish. All right, let's move on to the gender blender news. The gender issue, of course, gets a little tiresome, and it's got, you know, to some extent, this is a big divide and conquer operation, but in the United States anyway, but it's crazy. What's really crazy, uh, you know, this week is this, this, I just happened upon this, Mike, on Twitter. I just went to Twitter and what pops up at the top of the Twitter feed? Feminine Arabic is here. If you prefer to be addressed as she or her, wait a minute, let's face it, you know, the 399 plus million of the 400 million Arabic speakers would think that you got kicked in the head by a donkey if you don't know that gender is what you're born with. It's not something that you choose. But because the Western column, you'd say the Jews, I, I don't know if, I, if that's necessarily relevant here, but the, the psychos uh, pushing this gender madness, and I guess they are just disproportionately Jewish, I'll admit that, um, think that they can voice this on people in the Arab world? I don't think so. I hate to let these people down, but gender in language really has nothing to do with uh, gender uh, in biology. So uh, I don't know any Arabic uh, other than. Hello, Mike. Mädchen is das Mädchen. Okay. It's neuter. Why is a girl neuter in German? Well, because. The neuter is always uh, C-H-E-N, which is a diminutive, is always neuter. It's got nothing to do with gender. Right, right. But see, that's not relevant here, Mike, because here it's if you prefer to be addressed. So this is in the second person. And those it's it's so in, in Arabic, anti is you, feminine, and anta is you, masculine. So that is this is what they're doing here is they're basically saying, you know, rather than saying, are you, a, are you male or female? They're asking, what do you prefer? And so that's giving us this gender preference BS. But uh, here's one that you can't argue with. Uh, in, in East London, this school, and I'm sure there are others in the UK, are basically trying to turn the Muslim students bisexual. Here's Hafsa, the happy Muslim bisexual. She used to think she had to either be bisexual or Muslim, and now she knows she can be both. Uh, you know, again, maybe maybe they can get away with this for a while in the UK until the UK Muslims get pissed off enough. But you know, here in Morocco, you can't even imagine that they would dare to try something like this. Well, something similar just happened in Uganda, where they passed an anti-homosexual law, uh, and to the consternation of everyone. But the under Uganda was created as an anti-homosexual state because uh, it, it was the Ugandan martyrs or sort of the patron saints of Uganda, and they were Christians who refused to engage in sodomy at the behest of, of the king. So you're going against deeper, uh, deeper uh, issues here, and oftentimes you'll find that Islamic, uh, like new immigrant groups like the it, it, like the Muslims in places like it, it, England are more resistant to the social engineering than the indigenous groups. Uh, and so that's always uh, a problem for the social engineers. And so they get involved in these things and then they find that there's a, a, a cohesive type of pushback. The point here would be to organize a religious resistance to the agenda uh, because usually they play religious groups off against each other. Right. And, and here, the authentic, traditional religious people are pretty much on the same page, Christian, Muslim, what have you. I believe there are even some other religions that would also be on the same page with us on this. Um, but meanwhile, back in the West, uh, how about the Isle of Man? Isn't that sexist? You can't say the Isle Wait of Man. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Isle of Person. <laughs> yeah, Change yeah. the name. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the drag queen tells the 11 year olds that there are 73 genders. I guess that's a little better than trying to tell the 73 year olds that there are 11 genders. Mm -hmm. 73 year olds mm -hmm. are too old to have that hoisted uh, on them. But in any case, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. If, if, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you told me that this would be going on, this would be the new ersatz uh, religion of the West. You know, I would have said, you're smoking something. This is this is like, this happens in the, you know, the corners of San Francisco where, you know, like off of Castro Street in the back alley, they do this kind of stuff. But no, now it's it's coming to a, a small town in red state flyover country near you. Drag queen story hour. 
yet another reason for me to stay here in Morocco. Yeah, so it happened in South Bend, Indiana, largely because of our homosexual mayor, who's now the Secretary of Transportation, failing upward. Uh, so one of the libraries hosted Drag Queen Story Hour, and the local branch of the Proud Boys showed up. They didn't do anything. They just stood there, and there was consternation. Oh, what are we going to do? The Proud Boys, they didn't do anything. They just oh stood there. Oh, my God, there. It's, a, it's the Proud Boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, guess, so guess who? So it makes the local news. Guess who they got as a commentator on this issue? Take a wild guess. The ADL. The local the ADL, representative really? of the ADL comes on and defends Drag Queen Story Hour. Oh, man. Boy, I can imagine. Wait a minute. So that was on the local news in the afternoon. In the evening, he disappeared. He got a call from Jonathan Greenblatt or something like that. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But did they come out? Did they show their true colors here? Of course they did. Yeah, so much for, you know, authentic Judaism as a traditional religion. I think there are some, like Nature Karga, you know, there are some sort of authentic traditional Jews out there. But let's face it, an awful lot of the people who consider themselves Jews uh, are on, totally on board with this stuff and pushing it and disproportionately responsible for it coming to a small town near flyover country near you. Were you, were you, were you in Mashab when I addressed that issue with uh, Rabbi David Weiss? Were you I think there? so. Yeah, I think. I, I, think I, I was. said basically. I said basically, if all Jews were like you, we wouldn't have a problem. But unfortunately, all Jews are not like you. You're the yeah. exception that proves the rule. If you were all off in your ghetto somewhere, minding your own business, we wouldn't be talking this way. We wouldn't be here now. And actually, and actually, doing good things. I mean, doing good works, speaking truth to power. I mean, he's as far as I'm concerned, he's an honorary Muslim. You know, he's a. He's uh, he's keeping the faith and he's doing good work. So God bless him. Hope he reaches a good high station in paradise. All right. J6 news. J6 uh, defendants are now in possession, I guess, or somebody has anyway, this video, I guess, was it not Hunter Thompson? <laughs> uh, Tucker Carlson got a big leak of all these videos. And we've got video now of the cops opening the door and ushering in the people that were then arrested for walking through the door that the cops had opened up and ushered them through, which seems a little weird. I mean, I, to me, that's a pretty good defense in court. And you never should have been arrested in the first place. Right. This FBI is classic uh, involvement in entrapment. That's the way they work. Uh, and so most people don't know that there was a dress rehearsal for January 6th in Michigan about six months earlier, where they had armed militia taking over the Capitol in Lansing. That was orchestrated by an FBI agent there who then got promoted to Washington, and he did the same thing in Washington. So yes. uh, this is this is all in an article is coming out in the next uh, uh, issue of uh, Culture Wars, the next issue, April issue. Uh, in detail. But I mean, this is classic. As soon as you get into a trial, uh, basically the all the entrapment mechanism comes clear and that's then they get thrown out. It just gets thrown out. That's what's going to happen if they allow a trial. This is why a trial is important here. And that's why they're locking people up in prison and throwing in, in terrible conditions and kind of throwing away the key and then postponing the trials, I suppose. Uh, oh, boy. Well, let's give a shout out to the radicals and gonzos who are out there uh, and who passed away here. James uh, Aburus, which is a great Arab name. Uh, he was our you know, great Arab senator in the 1970s, who was better than George McGovern. Man, you know, if he'd run for president instead of George McGovern, maybe we would have had a better country come out of it. And he took on big oil. You know, he, he, he was great on a whole long list of issues. So Sam Husseini, once again, wow, Sam Hussein, this is our third Sam Husseini story. I guess people should subscribe to him on Substack. Uh, and, and among all the other pretty cool things that Abu Rust did was he tried to expose the neocon Zionist Israeli spies around Richard Pearl and presumably people like Wolfowitz, the people that later did 9-11. If we'd listened to this guy back in the 1970s and locked up these neocons, who were Israeli spies, they were traitors, they all should have been locked up for life, instead of promoting them and putting them up in the Defense Department and places like that where they could organize 9-11, uh, we'd have a better world today. So, you know, we should have uh, listened to this guy and maybe even elected him president, but, you know, the, Washington's so corrupt that he only served one term. Yeah, I didn't even, I never even knew about this guy. Really? Uh, yeah. No, I never, never heard of him. So no, he was one of my heroes when I was a kid. I, I was a radical hippie leftist kid and, uh, you know, hip to the JFK assassination and stuff. And so this guy, he was one of the few good guys out there in Washington back when I was young. 
Yeah, well, it's a, uh, the 70s was uh, remarkable in that regard because they had the church hearings, which really exposed. You had the Senate exposing the CIA. You know, yeah. that's yeah. significant. That, that's why that's why this uh, uh, Hawley uh, Garland confrontation was so uh, important and hope a hopeful sign. Is, are, is the Senate going to regain some of its power and start uh, calling these people uh, to accountability? Uh, yeah. That happened in the 70s. So who's going to be the next James Aberesca? Maybe Holly, but they, they're probably afraid they're going to be the next Paul Wellstone. Uh, moving on to people who got Wellstones, how about Hunter Thompson? They didn't take him down in a plane crash with his family. Instead, they got, took him out in a fake suicide. And uh, here's our second story from Jeremy Kuzmarov at Covert Action Quarterly going into that. Uh, the circumstances around this are highly suspicious. Thompson, Hunter Thompson, one of America's most famous journalists, maybe its most famous single journalist, huge fan base, uh, never believed the official story of 9-11, was about to expose the controlled demolition of the World Trade Center. Uh, and right before he was suicided, he, he said he'd stumbled across hard evidence proving the towers had been blown up. And the night before his death, he telephoned his uh, friend, Paul Roberts from the Toronto Globe and Mail, a leading global newspaper, say talking about the uh, de controlled demolition of the World Trade Center, said that they were going to kill him and they were going to make it look like a suicide. The next day, he suicided. I mean, I don't know. Call me a crazy conspiracy theorist. But really? Come on, guys. I mean, how, this is not just suspicious. This is practically open and shut circumstantial case. I think you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. This guy's this guy's behavior was so self-destructive uh for his entire life that I, I think that suicide was the log the logical conclusion to his life. So I'm you know I'm so you, I'm, think, I'm, you, you think he he just like discovered that controlled demolition of the trade center said that they were gonna suicide him over it, and then he just happened to commit suicide. I think I think he committed suicide. I think it's well, well, why is it, what, what, but why do you think that the day before he committed suicide, after he's been pursuing this controlled demolition of the trade center story, you know, from the get go practically, and now he's got hard evidence, or he says so? You think he just made all this up? I don't. I don't think anybody took him seriously. Uh, he was all. He was oh, always. I mean, he's the central character in an expose of the Hell's Angels and that type of thing. He was a character in Doonesbury. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just don't think he had the stature of someone like Seymour Hersh. Uh, and I think his behavior was self-destructive all along. And so I'm. I, I think he committed suicide. Well, see, I, I think you're overestimating the show that he put on. I mean, yeah, he put on this show, and he probably did actually take some drugs. But, you know, it's just like if you read Charles Bukowski, you would think, how could this guy write a single coherent sentence? He's, you know, he's drunk off his rear end. Beyond, you know, he's poisoned. He should have died, like, after, you know, six months of drinking the way he describes in his books. But guess what? Bukowski, you know, he lived a pretty long life. I don't think he drank nearly as hard as he likes to pretend in his books. And Hunter Thompson, likewise, he was putting on a show uh, as part of his literary journalism. But he's a very sharp political analyst. If you read his book on the 1972 campaign, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, he's, he's definitely one of America's sharper political analysts. And so I don't think you should take, I mean, yeah, I think he, he, you know, like a lot of people, he had that a bit of a, well, a terrible self-destructive side by, let's say, Muslim standards. <laughs> but uh, oh, by any standard, I by <laughs> any standards. Well, but I yeah, mean, but don't believe everything he wrote about his drug taking. No, I mean the combination of of uh, uh, excess when it comes to drugs and alcohol, a fascination with guns, shooting up uh, his own place. Uh, you know. Yeah, but uh, some, some of that's an act. Some of that's an you're act. Going, you're going to have you're going to have to come up with more persuasive evidence than than this guy came up. Okay, with. Okay, we're going to have me. to differ on that one. So our our viewers can go to the story at Covert Action Quarterly, read it, and see whether you agree with me that this is practically an open and shut case of Hunter Thompson getting suicided because he was on the story of the controlled demolition of the Trade Center, or whether, as Mike says, uh, he was such a crazy guy that suicide would be natural. And I mean, I would agree if, if the circumstances were different, if he left, you know, if he if there was really a coherent story of him committing suicide uh, unrelated to the 9-11 story, you know, I wouldn't completely doubt it. He's, he's, but in, given all of these circumstances, I, I would very strongly opt for the, the uh, suiciding hypothesis uh but we'll agree to disagree on that move on to elon musk 
saying that U.S. media and schools are racist against whites and Asians, which is a very racist thing to say, because if you talk about racism in the wrong way, you are a racist. Uh, what, what do you think of Musk? Very rich guy. And yeah. uh, the, uh, this is the difference between Musk and Scott Adams is that Musk has a lot more money than Scott Adams. They say the same thing, and uh, Adams Dilbert gets canceled by. No, the they say quite the same thing. We we, we didn't talk about uh, Scott Adams in the show, but maybe we could quickly throw him in here. Uh, what Scott Scott Adams said? He looked at a poll that showed that like one quarter of African Americans uh, don't think it's okay to be white or don't endorse that statement. And then another quarter of them are undecided. And then 50% of them think the statement it's okay to be white is okay. So he's saying that, you know, 50% of, of black Americans are, you know, either against it being okay to be white or aren't sure. And that's a bad sign. So you better stay away from them. And it, it wasn't clear whether he meant stay away from all black people or stay away from these ones who don't, don't think it's okay to be white. Uh, that statement to me didn't rise to the level of hideously obnoxious or anything. I mean, I certainly disagree with it, but getting him totally canceled for it and not allowing discussion of the topic is, is ridiculous. Well, they, uh, they tried to go after Musk, but Musk has too much money. Yeah. He's got too much money. And that's, that's the secret. Uh, if you can in control of the money, now Kanye had a lot of money, but he wasn't in control of it. He basically was dependent on one or two sources. Adidas took a significant hit with Kanye because the Jews uh, told him to uh, cut, break the contract. It, it comes down to maybe it's not only just money, how you're earning money. Uh, he could turn off Starlink over uh, the Ukraine if they mess with him anymore. This is the type of thing, but it's basically a, 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 a question of how, how much power you have. And money is not necessarily uh, the criterion, but it, it certainly figures in the power it helps. equation. <laughs> it definitely yeah, helps. It helps. Yeah. Well, I think Scott Adams will probably survive okay on his prior earnings, but it's still kind of outrageous that so many people just get canceled for these things. That are, well, that, let's let's put it this way. The problem is there are some people who have just have too much power right now, and someone needs to adjudicate what these uh, the rights of uh, the rights of people on these social platforms. I think the Supreme Court is dealing with it, but there's got to be some type of clarification here because there are certain people I won't name names. Uh, you probably know who I'm talking about who have the power to destroy you if they don't like what you say, and the vehicle is these social platforms. Yep. Well, I'd like to see the social platforms held to a First Amendment standard. And, Absolutely. You know, it has to be held. The government has to take control. The First Amendment is the law. That should be the law of the platforms as well, period. Yeah, if it's obviously. not criminal, if it's not criminal activity or yelling fire in a crowded theater, it should be permitted, period. Absolutely right. Okay. Well, we sure have plenty of problems in this country. And I don't think we can just paper them over with the paper of the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, because... Well, uh, there's just a lot, of, too many problems. And one of the problems, of course, is pilots shortage, you know, the vax pilots, uh, that the vaccine may be a factor in the pilot shortage, but at least we can paper over that problem with a 289 foot paper airplane flight, a new world record. USA, USA, USA. What do you think, Mike? I think it's the greatest country on earth. Anybody, any country that can launch a paper airplane that far must have God's blessing. Uh, well, alhamdulillah for paper airplanes. Um, personally, I don't know. I think Morocco is every bit as great as the United States. And Yeah, uh, but they don't have paper airplanes. They don't, they have, don't paper have paper airplanes. that fly that far anyway. And, and they, maybe they never will, but they have a, a really good cuisine, Bastila, couscous. They have beautiful tiles. They have all kinds of good stuff. I'll be talking about a lot more in the future, but we're at the end of the show today, so I won't talk about it anymore. Thank you so much, Dr. E. Michael Jones. I love doing the show with you. Uh, keep up the good work at culturewars.com, and God bless. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.